Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday morning to each and every single one of you. It is great to be with you on this Monday morning. I'm Paul Fritschner filling in for Tom today. This is Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. Again, Tom not here today. He will be back in the studio tomorrow. This show airs live right here on Chatterbox Sports YouTube page every Monday through Friday from 10A, as Tom says, to noon Eastern time. If you can't listen live, you can go back. You can find it in podcast form. You can just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman. It is there in podcast form. You can look at Chatterbox Sports. We have all kinds of content, not just this show. We have Chatterbox Reds. We have Box Lunch, Not Too Picky. Once college basketball rolls back around, got the rebound rundown, which I am going to do an offseason episode here in a couple of weeks probably. You got a lot of content rolling here. You can find us all there on a podcast page as well as the mental game too. All of that there and included. It was a very, very busy weekend around Cincinnati and around the sports world. And we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to get all into it. Paul Fritschner, Casey McCollister, and Reed Mouse are over there. We got two full hours of programming. And fellas, how are you this morning? Great. Great, Casey. Reed? <laughs> I'm great, too. I heard you had a great weekend, Reed. Had, had a fantastic weekend. It was a lot of fun. Casey was telling me you had a great weekend. Yeah, I, uh, Saturday night, after uh, being at the bars for a few hours, after a Hall of Fame induction ceremony, uh, ended up going to the Sino, and uh, what about a $1,000? What about $1,000 playing craps? It was a good little weekend. $1,000 at the good old casino. What are you going to do with that $1,000, Reed? I'm surprised you said the amount. I knew what the amount was. I'm surprised you said the amount. Uh, I put it, uh, my wife decided what we did with that, and we put it away, and that was that. <laughs> put it in the savings account, we'll, won't see it again for quite some time. All right, well, that's good. Good stuff, Reed. Congratulations. Thank you. I wish Thank I could you. be so lucky. Thank you. All right, let's talk some sports. We'll start with the Reds, who lost a tantalizingly close game on Friday, then rebounded for a win on Saturday for getting blown out 17-4 to yesterday afternoon in the series finale. Sunday's game, you can just you can just toss it to the side. You can just completely throw it away. Saturday's game was a ton of fun. Friday, though, Friday's the one that really sticks with you. The, the Reds had a one-run lead in the sixth, conceded two-run home run, lost by a run. T.J. Friedel continued his monster season, had a catch-of-the-year type play, robbed a home run. Friedel's the only Red hitting above 300 on the season, now at 324. We are 34 games into the season right now. The Reds are 14 and 20. They are five and a half games out of first in a horrific NL Central. The Pirates are first right now in the Central. Are they really going to keep that up? Probably not over the course of the season. Maybe they maybe they keep things interesting here over the next few weeks. My guess is they probably don't keep that up over the entire course of the regular season. So at what point are we really going to have to start giving some credence to the fact that if these highly touted minor league prospects that the Reds have in this system, if they get called up and if they perform at a decent level, I'm not even saying a Hall of Fame level. I'm not even saying a great level. If they come up and they are serviceable, at what point do we have to start having the conversation, which I think we kind of started to have last week, that the Reds can start keeping things fun this year? 
We'll get into that much more as this show goes on. We have a lot of Reds talk today. The Reds have the day off tomorrow before beginning a home series, or day off today, rather, before getting a home series started tomorrow against the New York Metropolitans. On the pitch on Saturday night at TQL Stadium, FC Cincinnati remained undefeated at home. They've played six MLS matches at home this year. They've played seven overall. They've won all seven of their home matches. Of course, the six in the MLS. Then they beat Louisville in that U.S. Open Cup match. It was a 2-1 winner over D.C. United on Saturday night. We'll circle back to FCC in about five minutes. Those two events were both on Saturday. Then on Sunday, the 25th Flying Pig Marathon was run in the midst of driving rain and terrible weather at the start. Casey, I don't know if I sent that video to you uh, of the of the video from, I believe it was the start line from the Flying Pig Marathon. Um, I was down there. I Contrary to, to what it might look like from my frame, I did not run in the Flying Pig, but I knew a lot of people that did run in the Flying Pig. So I was down there. Take a look at this video from the Flying Pig. Look at this. That was right around the start. Talk about having to run 26.2 with waterlogged soaked shoes. Can you guys imagine doing that? I cannot believe that they like even started it. Because it, was, it wasn't just raining. or It was lightning overnight. Obviously, they wouldn't have ran if there was lightning going on. But it was a monsoon of rain that morning. I can't believe that they, they didn't at least delay it. Until the late afternoon or early afternoon. Well, and it turns out all they would have had to do is delay it about two hours and, right. they, and they would have been fine because you can run. It, runners are a different breed. Runners just in general are a different breed. And uh, so Lizzie had, my girlfriend Lizzie, had a couple of friends, very good friends. Uh, one of her, her best friends, a college roommate, was running in it. was the first half marathon. They were both running the half marathon. Mm -hmm. And so we go down there. uh we wake up at about, I don't know, probably, I think the alarm was like 7.30. Check the weather. We see, we could hear it outside. It's hailing. And I'm sitting there hoping that Jackie's windshield isn't cracked when I go walk out there in the morning. I got to call Safe Light again. Luckily, we're all good. But I can hear it hailing. It's just pelting against the house. And I'm thinking, they're going to have to get up and run in about a half hour here. Because I think it was maybe like 5.30, 6 o'clock when it was mm -hmm. hailing. Then about 7.30, I checked the tweets from Flying Pig, and I see, well, they've delayed it. Or they, it was a shelter in place. But from what I heard, they issued the shelter in place, but people just kept on running. Right, they yeah, just they kept going. It, it seems to me like you could have pushed it back like maybe two hours, but at the same time, runners are a different breed, and they like just going out and battling the elements and just running. These people that are ultra competitive and get this runner's high and just like going out there and doing this, I don't think they really minded it. It's one of those things where after it's done, you are happy that you did it and you competed through it because then it's it's a story that you'll forever tell, right? It's like, oh, remember 2023 when I ran the Flying Pig? Maybe they've done, you know, a dozen marathons over their life. You remember the 2023 Flying Pig when, you know, it's just hailing and raining on us. We're literally running through puddles, about two inches of water. That was terrible. But, man, was that fun looking back at it. It's one yeah, of those yeah. experiences. And uh, – I just feel bad. There's going to be a huge epidemic of just foot fungi. Epidemic. We're going yeah. back. Oh, I no. Mean, I mean, all those poor folks. I mean, thousands of people running this marathon and their their feet. They ran in two hours of soaked feet. Like, 
We need, the, we need Madden. Oh, no. Tough get the Acton, Ten Acton. Ten Acton, yeah, the Lamisil. <laughs> Those poor folks. Who makes Lamisil? Is that a P&G product? Get an extra <laughs> shipment to Cincinnati. The foot fun guys breaking out. Casey McAllister. Good Lord. We got an, an epidemic that's, of foot fun guy. That's all I could think of is just. Fungi, like blisters, like it's it, you can't run. You're not supposed to run with soaked shoes and soaked socks. It's bad for you. Your big feet guy, Casey? No, not really. But <laughs> the soldiers in the trenches of World War One who got trench foot had nothing yeah. compared to the flying pig marathon no. runners. That epidemic is <laughs> Casey. That's ridiculous. Well, it, I'm just saying, like. Who, why wouldn't they just delay it? That's where the main point. Right. Why because they I think it? the runners, like, I don't know. I know Trace, I, I saw Trace had some thoughts on that. I didn't get to watch Trace's reaction to it. I did see Trace tweet about it and say, um, you know, why are they running this race? And you could see the weather map, but it was just all over the place. The rain was all over. But, I mean, hey, one of the biggest events in Cincinnati of the year. And uh, congratulations to Caitlin Keene. She won the women's marathon for the third time. She's a Cincinnati native. She moved here when she was younger, and she doesn't live in Cincinnati anymore, but obviously has ties to the area. Winning this race means a lot to her. I believe she's also come in second twice. Uh, Jason Salyer. Apologies to Jason if I'm not pronouncing his name right. I think it's Salyer. He won the mar men's marathon. He's now halfway to his goal of winning all six of Ohio's major marathons. That's Akron, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Columbus, Toledo, and the Air Force Marathon. Reed, you are dialed into the Ohio scene. Did you know we had six major marathons? Well, I didn't know that we had six major marathons, but I didn't know that that was a thing. I actually just was at a birthday party a couple weeks ago with someone who runs marathons, and he was talking about the big six world marathons, that that's his goal. He just did the Boston Marathon a couple. So the big six, I believe, are... Boston, New York, Chicago, and then London, Berlin, and Tokyo. Okay. And I believe, like, you have to have some crazy qualifications to get in the London Marathon. Like, people from outside of the country, outside of the UK, can't get into the London Marathon unless they get, like, a five-and-a-half-minute mile average somewhere else, which is just absolutely insane. But that was his goal, was the big six. If you won the big six, I'm, I think the Berlin one is where the, the world record is held two hours and one minute. Oh my God. You know, the thing about a marathon, and again, I'm not, not a runner. The thing about a marathon is you go out there and you sprint just, just for the average person, you sprint for about a hundred yards, maybe the length of a football field. That's what these people keep up as a pace for 26.2 miles. I mean, I go out there, I run from here to all eight up to get my lunch and I come back here and I'm winded. We, we actually talked last night um, at a family gathering is like if, if we challenged you right now to go out on a track on a flat flat round just going a mile how quickly do you think you can do it like just pushing yourself and we were arguing like one guy was like I can do it in eight minutes and he's a big guy and everything like yeah. that and everyone's just laughing I was like I think you could do eight minutes like Paul you you have probably, I think we've talked about this before what was the last time you ran a mile in your life uh, so I tried to run a mile last – so spring of 2021, I went to a high school track to try and get, like, a baseline of how fast I could run a mile, and I think it took me, like, nine and a half minutes. I believe fully – and I've seen you run, Paul. It's – it's. Oh, yeah. You don't look like Jason Salyer out there running no. sometimes. But I think you can get under eight minutes if – like, I truly believe that everyone can get under eight minutes. Eight minutes is not that hard. 
No, no. I think like if I trained and put some effort out there. I'm, I'm saying no, you could go out to could... the course today and run under eight minutes. Yeah, if oh. you're not to make if it dramatic, but yeah, if you were like my life depends on it, you could do it. Oh yeah, like if my life depended on it, and I was okay with throwing up. Like if and... I gave you a hundred dollars, if I put a hundred dollars at the finish line and said, if you get under eight minutes, this is your hundred dollars. I fully think you. Can. I think I could probably do that. Yeah, I fully think. I that. think I could probably do that. All right. PB's Ghost, what is Paul's golf handicap? Oh, my God, it's been going up this week, or the last two weeks. It's not good, but we'll talk about that more later. All right, Mage, it's Kentucky Derby. Mage was the winner of the 149th Kentucky Derby, finished in two minutes, one second. Mage went off at 15-1 to 1 odds, and a major congratulations to our very own Reed Mouse, who won a few dollars on uh, Mage over the weekend. But as you were telling me, Reed, it, it wasn't you. It was... It was so somebody I, else. I like an hour before the race went off. I put twenty five dollars in in an in account to to bet on the race. I bet fifteen dollars on Tappet Trice because I had just been telling everyone all week that Tappet Trice was going to win. He obviously didn't. I then hand the phone to my wife and said, Mariana May, as I call her, put five dollars on a horse, and she May was like, Oh, Mage. So that's why she picked May. <laughs> So just close enough to her name, my sister put $5 on somebody else, and yeah, turned out pretty good. One like 90 bucks on that, so it was nice. Boom Shakalaka says that mage will be the name of disease from the runners going through water in the flying pig. <laughs> the mage epidemic. The mage epidemic. Yeah, so we were, we were driving down to the FC Cincinnati match. Uh, my girlfriend and I were going down, and we left about 6.30. I pulled over to watch the, the derby, and obviously when you're, you're streaming the derby, you're behind. You're behind cable. We all know I have cable at my house. And my parents, we, we were sitting there watching all the pre-race stuff. Lizzie came over. We left. And right before we left, I had pulled up on the race sheet. I had pulled up all the horses. My parents are big, big, love the, love the derby and everything else. So my mom's sitting there writing down everybody's uh, horses that they had picked. And she goes, Lizzie, you got to pick one. And I, I had given her my winner. I, I picked two fills. I was feeling great coming down the stretch. And Lizzie just looks at Mage, first horse she sees on the thing, and she goes, ah, Mage, just write it down. Just write it down. We're good. And we, we ran out the door. My mom goes, ah, Lizzie, I, I, I'll stick with you. I'll pick Mage. What do you know? So we get down to FC Cincinnati. We are feet from the garage. And I didn't want to pull into the garage because I thought maybe I'd lose signal. So I parked right outside the garage. As Larry Colmus, the voice of the Derby, says, and they're into the stretch. My mom calls me, and I lost the signal, and I didn't see the end. I didn't see the home stretch. So right as, right as two fills and maids were neck and neck with about, well, you know, however long it is down the home stretch, totally lost the race, went out, didn't see anything down the end. I don't know how I didn't break my phone. I threw it so hard into the, into the ground of the car, and then uh, we were fine. Lizzie won. Didn't win any money, though. I didn't get a bet in for her on time. Tough. Sad. Tough. All right. Around the country, the NBA playoffs continue to deliver in a massive way. I just can't get over how good they have been. Seems like almost every night we are getting at least one close, entertaining game. Now, I say almost because Saturday was not one of those nights. The Heat handled the Knicks by 19 to take a 2-1 series lead, and the Lakers blew out the Warriors by 30 to take a 2-1 series lead of their own on Saturday, but Sunday made up for it. Working on this show, watching the Sixers game, watching the Miami game yesterday, James Harden was the hero again for Philadelphia. 
Sixers star hit the game-winning shot in overtime to give Philly a 116-115 win over Boston. Celtics thought they hit the game winner a little late. I think that was Marcus Smart hit that shot uh, from the wing three. It was late. It was after the buzzer. That series is tied at two. Then in the night game, Phoenix and Denver. That was a close one. And the Suns edge out Denver 129-124 to even that series at two as well. Tonight, both the Heat and the Lakers will look to take a commanding 3-1 lead in their series. New York, Miami's at 7.30, and Golden State, LA, is at 10. My question is, why don't these NBA games ever start on time? Why? We get to 10 o'clock at night. This game is not starting until at least 10-15. Every time, it's 15-20 minutes. You, you get the pregame show, you get everything else. It never starts when it's supposed to start. Just say it's going to start at 10-15. That's fine. I do want the Lakers to win this series. How ironic, though, would it be if the Lakers win tonight, they take a 3-1 lead, only for Steph and the Warriors to win three in a row, come back and, and kind of get some revenge for that 3-1 lead. Just saying. Just saying. In the NHL, Carolina leads New Jersey 2-1 in the series. It was the Devils who got their first win in the series yesterday, convincing fashion 8-4. Florida all over Toronto. They lead that series 3-0. And the darlings of the sport, Seattle Kraken. Let's get an NBA team back to Seattle. They lead our beloved Reed, our beloved Dallas Stars 2-1 in that series. You read your thoughts. 7-2 yesterday? Bad. 7-2? Bad. Where's the defense? Bad. We need Ben Bishop back in the net. Golly. Golly. We'll be all right. We're, mm. the, best, we're the best team still, still standing. We'll be fine. Vegas and Edmonton play tonight with that series tied at one. And then lastly, an F1. Max Verstappen, if anybody cares about <laughs> F1. Talking about it because it was raced here in the USA. Started ninth on the grid. He defended his Miami Grand Prix championship, won again on Sunday afternoon. I watched the first half of that about last night on the replay. Uh, so, again, Max Verstappen. You ever watch that Netflix series on, on F1? I'm glad you asked the question. I have watched the series, Drive to Survive. I have not watched this season's uh, yet, but I've watched the first two or three seasons. Um, I love the Netflix show. Can't get into the sport, though. My friends watched the, the TV show like, like six months ago. All of a sudden, my group chat for my college friends is just talking Formula One all the time. And I'm like, what the hell did I miss? Yeah. What, what is going on? Did, did, did I turn off my phone for two months and now we're just all into Formula One? And I guess there's this Netflix show that I haven't seen yet. But they talk about Formula One all the time now because of that show. It's really good. The, the show is really good. And I think the reason the show is really good is because I don't know anything about it. It's because I'm completely clueless about F1. So I don't know any of the dynamics. Whereas when you watch Full Swing... You know that Sahit Tagala is not a, a big name in the sport. He's a rookie, but he's featured on an episode. Joel Damon is not a big name in PGA Tour golf, but he gets an entire episode. If you were not a golf fan, you would think that Joel Damon is like the next coming of Tiger Woods. You'd think Sahit Tagala is a big star in the sport. So that's where I don't know watching the F1 mm -hmm. series. I don't know the dynamics. I don't know the ins and outs of it. But just for pure entertainment, I really like it. But to wake up and watch these races on a Sunday morning – I just, I don't really, I can't get into the race as much as I can get into the drums. Kind of almost like the NBA. It's like everything else and the, the fans and the crew and the qualifying and everything is great. And then you actually watch the 57 laps and it's like, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. All right, today, packed show at 1030 in just a few minutes, nine minutes away. 
I have the voice of the Louisville Bats, Nick Curran, for about 15 minutes. We talk all things Reds, their top prospects, how he sees their skills translating to the major league level. We recorded that interview on Friday, full disclosure. So if we find out live on this show, which I, we're probably liable to do given how things go sometimes on live TV, if we find out live on this show that any of these big prospects get called up to the Reds, don't slam me for not asking the questions. We we recorded on uh, we recorded on Friday, and it, it was kind of funny. I asked him a couple of questions about Ellie De La Cruz and adjusting to the AAA level, and of course, Ellie De La Cruz had a fantastic weekend, so that, that aged nicely. At 11, I'll be joined by Brandon Ramsey from Kentucky Sports Radio to talk more about the Reds at the major league level. And a, a little chatter about Kentucky basketball as well. The Wildcats lost out on Hunter Dickinson last week and potentially getting another year out of Oscar Shibway. Then at 11.30, we'll be joined by the local 12 digital sports columnist and editor Richard Skinner, one half of the Skinny Podcast. We'll talk mostly about the Bengals, but there has been a lot of of news in the college basketball transfer portal. And if you know me, you know that's the kind of thing that really gets me going. So we'll talk a little bit of transfer portal news. I saw Brian B. in the chat already talking about the portal. We'll get into that, but we'll also talk about the Bengals. Um, we will, the three of us here in the studio down the road in the show, we'll get into the top five Bengals games that we are looking forward to this season. The schedule comes out on Friday. Casey. Oh, wait, go ahead, Reed. I actually just saw a report oh. that they are behind oh, no. on making their schedule, and now they're worried that it's not going to come out this week. Like they're having a meeting today to see if they can, excuse me, solve the problems that are arising from making their schedule. So the schedule's not done yet. Oh no, which is crazy. Did you see what the the problems were with the schedule? No, what was or? it? No, I just I oh, was no, curious. Oh no, I literally if... just saw a tweet, and you know what? We'll do it live. We'll, we'll do it live. <laughs> All right. Uh, and, you know, one other, one other piece of news. And actually, before I, before I say this, Casey will have a familiar surprise for all of you. If you know Casey, you know what's coming around the end of the show. Um, one other thing we didn't mention. Did you guys see the fight in the NASCAR race over the weekend? No. Ross Chastain and Noah Gregson. Casey, I don't know if you can pull it up. It was all over Twitter. Just, just search uh, NASCAR fight. Ross Chastain and Noah Gregson. The race was in Kansas this weekend. I did not see much of the race, but I did see all about this fight. I love a good NASCAR fight because mm -hmm. what happens is you build up all this tension in the car. The mm -hmm. guys crash. Then you go over into the pit lane or wherever you all meet up. And you still got to be boiling over, and you still got to be mad at somebody. And then this happens over the weekend. Look at this. Run that track. Talk a little bit. Talk a little bit. Mad at each other. Tensions boiling. Blood boiling. Grab each other. Shake it. Oh! You don't see that every day. Do not see that every day. NASCAR needs to do a pay-per-view now. <laughs> Ross Chastain, Noah Gregson, just what, was Chastain the one that did the move in NASCAR last year? Who was what? The oh, when he like ran the wall around yeah, the side. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. Fiery. Love it. All right. Uh, before we get to the Nick Curran interview. I have something for you guys. Oh, no. I don't know no. if you saw this story. 
So at the NFL draft, there were a couple of reporters that were credentialed. They were USC students. This is an article from the Washington Post. The headline, USC students covering NFL draft accused of stealing first round jerseys. So there were two students. One of them was a 40-year-old and another was a 19-year-old. They were both credentialed reporters from the USC Annenberg Journalism School. They were charged with two felonies. Felonies. Oh. Second-degree burglary and stealing of $750 or more. First-degree trespassing, which is a misdemeanor. They posted $2,500 bail. This was last week. In a statement from Kansas City Police... Officers checked security footage after a burglary was reported from the city's Union Station, which was a central part of the draft's staging ground. The stolen items were described as three jerseys, the Dallas Cowboys, the Vikings, and the 49ers, with the number one and no name on the back. Those were $350 jerseys, so a total of $1,050. This was the set of jerseys that were supposed to go to the first-round pick in the draft, security footage per police showed two men leaving a nearby hotel at 1 a.m. on Friday and entering a room in Union Station marked the talent waiting room, which was right across from the Nike room where the jerseys were stolen. After a few minutes, the two men were shown leaving the area with one of them holding a bag described as, quote, fuller than when he entered. Now, because they're credentialed, they know who everybody is. They have the, the footage. They go back. They find them. Their question, as they were waiting to board a flight back to California, a judge authorized a warrant to search their luggage. Officers found a Cowboys jersey that matched the description of the stolen item and a 49ers jersey in the other guy's bag. How dumb do you have to be to be credentialed to an event like the NFL Draft, which is one of the most public events in the world, and you get caught stealing not just any jersey, but the first round jersey, what are we doing? If you're 19 and you're in college and like kind of think it's a prank, like fine, whatever. I'm not justifying it, but I'm saying like a 19-year-old, I see where this kid's coming from. So the guy's 40. Mm. Nuts. Can you imagine being credentialed from the Van Wert Times and you go down to... Times Bulletin. The Van Wert Times Bulletin. It, it hasn't stood for 175 years. For to be to, disrespected. Right, correct. The Van Wert Times Bulletin. And you head on down to Great American Ballpark. Andrew Abbott, first career strikeout. Mm, I steal the ball. You go into his locker. You just, ah, you know what? I'm going to take that. Throw it on the eBay. Don't tempt me. What are these guys thinking? I don't know. How do you get away with it? Right. Like, how do, how do you eventually get away with it? They probably thought they were. They probably thought they were in the clear, and then they're getting on a plane, and they get questioned. Could you imagine having to get on that, thinking you're going to get on that plane, and you're you're minutes away from glory, and somebody comes and says we're going to search the bag? Casey, what if you were a credentialed journalist? You wouldn't you wouldn't do anything. You you would have no. you you would you know what you would do. You would kind of, you kind of like take a look out of the corner of your eye, and you would see Jones on the back of a jersey. You'd say, "I need that jersey." No, I mean, I, it's really, really strange that they decided to to steal it when it's like you said, one of the most. Public. It's got the yeah, it's the most public, got the most eyeballs, the most security probably. Uh, th this is just weird to me. Um, 
why? Why steal those jerseys? I mean, like that. You get a little bit of coin, right? And yeah, like, I, like how do you even prove that they are? I don't you really know, like. Like they were gonna get caught regardless, unless they were right, just like gonna when keep it's time it. To sell it, and you know, people are like, "Where do these jerseys go?" And then they finally see that they're online somewhere, and they, you know, you sell them on eBay, so you have to go meet them or something like that, or I guess you yeah, can ship like, it out. But that's what I don't understand. At what how point do you get away with this? Yeah. Well, they don't. Not the. A lot of dumb sports crimes going on. What, we never got to talking about the Alabama coach. Oh, what man. What was he doing? All right, let's do that. Let's do that. The Alabama coach. What? What was he doing? So it came out that that was the Alabama baseball coach, uh, I guess, put in a call or something to somebody that was down at a sports book at Great American Ballpark here in Cincinnati. It happened right down the road from us. Right. Happened at Great Could have been anybody. Right. So, a ten thousand dollar bet to win that's what it was twenty five ten thousand dollars. So you know what's crazy about that? We were speculating on how much money it would take to trigger the censors. I believe FanDuel came out and said they didn't take one bet on that game. So we were talking about how like much money is on these college baseball games. FanDuel, the biggest sports book in the world, right? Didn't take a single bet on that game. Now I didn't. I didn't. Wow. I saw that. I saw that online, and I I didn't fact check that. But that's just the that was the tweet I saw based on that. But golly, what are you doing? Yeah, what that, are you doing? That's not good. And it was exactly what we what we thought would happen was they they realized it was a late scratch from their ace on the Friday game when ones versus ones, and they threw a guy who hasn't pitched in six weeks or something like that. Yeah. Hasn't thrown since the middle of March. And the dude said, all right, we're going to lose this game anyways. Let's go put some money on this game. I just – there's one rule that you literally cannot break as an athlete or a coach or anything like that, and you broke it. So the story goes that the Friday starter, which if you know college baseball, you know that the pitcher that throws on Friday is the you know, best pitcher in your rotation, got scratched. Throw a little sprinkler – you know what he did? Scratched his pitcher and then sprinkled some scratch. That's what he did. Not Absolutely good. bananas. Just bananas. And is he going to go to jail? Is he going to go to jail? I don't know. Hey, uh, I, I'm hearing that Reed's mic not be on. Might not it, be on. It's on. Oh, it's I on. I just don't talk into my mic because you know okay. why? Not a professional. Okay. It's all right, Reed. It's okay. We're there. All right. Let's get to Nick Curran again. Disclaimer. We recorded this interview on uh, Friday afternoon. I think everything is still up to date, though. It's, it was a pretty – I tried to ask some evergreen questions. So it's about a 15-minute interview. Really good stuff. It gets into all the big prospects that are down there. McLean, Abbott, CES, Ellie De La Cruz, all those guys. Talks about what he see. He's the voice of the Louisville Bats, the AAA team for the Reds. He's also the voice of Louisville women's basketball. So a pretty prominent voice down there in Louisville. Um, he's been around the – bats since 2013 he's been there for a long time i've known him for five six years he's a great guy if you listen to a bats game he's the voice you hear alongside jim kelch as well who used to be on the reds broadcast too but nick gave a lot of good insight into what he's seen every day this year from these guys that have been called up to triple a excited for you guys to listen to this this is nick curran the voice of the Louisville bats
Joined now by the voice of the Louisville Bats, Nick Curran. He has been around the Bats for quite some time, and he is going to take a few minutes here this morning to talk about how productive of a season this season has been for the Louisville Bats as far as the prospects go and everybody else. And Nick, first of all, you're you're on the road right now. You're in Omaha. I really appreciate you joining us. Um, this team this year, I know you, we were just talking before we came on the air, Maybe record-wise hasn't been what you would hope they would be, but as far as the talent and the prospects and getting Twitter all up in arms and enthused, uh, it has been a fun year from that perspective. So from Christian Encarnacion Strand and Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McLean, all these guys, by the time this interview airs, so we're recording this on, on Friday afternoon, by the time this interview airs, who knows if those guys are in Reds uniforms by Monday. We don't know. Mon Reds have a off day on Monday and then – and then uh, they, they welcome the Mets to town tomorrow. What does this look like uh, right now? What How has this season been handling these guys, Nick, and the excitement and everything else, watching these guys day in and day out, especially last night? You have the cycle. You have the, a three-home run. I mean, it, just incredible. Yeah, it has been. I, I think um, there's been – a buzz about this team coming into the season that um, that I haven't experienced since I've been working with the team. So um, a lot of folks very excited, as you said, the social media buzz with everyone, uh, you know, every time somebody does something well, get them to the big leagues. Uh, so it's been fun and uh, it's been fun to watch. It's an offense that I think is probably as good as uh, any in um in minor league baseball right now. So it's been a, a really impressive. And you talked about what happened last night as we're recording this, but um, I, I don't know. It's trying to figure out how many times, at least in the big leagues, there's been a, a cycle and a three homer game in the same game. Uh, pretty crazy. Uh, we're still working on trying to figure that out, but uh, it's, uh, it's been fun and it's, it's a pretty electric group right now for sure. As somebody that's been around the bats and has been around this Reds organization for as long as you have, Nick, what makes you most excited in watching these guys day in and day out in, in CES and Matt McClain, Ellie De La Cruz, but also the pitching staff, Andrew Abbott, that's now coming up and, and making his way to Louisville. So what makes you so excited about this group before we talk about them individually as a whole, collectively, what, what gets you juiced up about these guys? I think the cool part is, a, how long, how, how well they, they get along. I, I think it's a group that's pretty tight-knit and they, they genuinely like each other, which is a really cool thing. Uh, and then I, I also think it's it's how they, they fit together well. There, there's a good chemistry on the field. Um, you talk about an Ellie De La Cruz and a, and a Matt McClain who, you know, uh, could be a, a potential middle infield combination down the road in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, we've seen that chemistry. This is a team that uh, leads the International League, or at least going into last night, was tied for the league lead and double plays turned. So uh, it's something they do well. Uh, you know, Encarnacion Strand fits that also, either playing third or first base, which is what we've seen him do in the field. Uh, and so I, I think that side of it's really exciting, what, what they're able to do on that side of it. And then I, I think they complement each other well in the lineup. Uh, it's been, for the most part, uh, Ellie hitting second, McLean hitting third, and then uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand hitting in the cleanup spot. And I, I think it, it works really well from a lineup standpoint because you you have to give De La Cruz 
pitches to hit because if you don't, then you're facing Matt McClain, who's hitting like 320 and, and leads the team in homers and RBIs. And uh, if, if you if you don't pitch to him, then you're pitching to Encarnacion Strand, who had three homers last night. So that part of it's really neat. And then uh, just to see Andrew Abbott come up and, and make two just lights out AAA starts after he was putting up insane numbers in AA, uh, I, I think that's exciting because there there really hasn't been much of, if any, drop off from what he was doing uh, with Chattanooga through through two starts with the bats, which is is pretty unusual to to see. What do you think translates best? And I'll start here first with Christian Encarnacion Strand. What do you think translates from what you have seen best to the big leagues? Uh, he he's got uh, they 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 call it easy power. Um, it doesn't look like he's he's swinging very hard, and um, it goes far. And I think that that translates to anything. And and I, I, it's just so smooth, and um, it, it really doesn't look like it takes much effort for him to to hit the ball a long way. And I think that is something that that certainly uh, translates to the big leagues. And um, on top of that, the potential home ballpark he'll play in when he does eventually get to the big leagues one day. Uh, also conducive to that power. Obviously, uh, the ball kind of flies out of Great American Ballpark. So um, that's the thing that's exciting for me is he's a guy that, that goes up there with uh, with a steady approach and, and doesn't try to do too much. But even in not trying to do too much, it, it can fly out of the ballpark. And now how about Matt McClain? He's somebody that's just – it seems like every night you look at a box score, Nick, and it's Matt McClain this or, or Matt McClain, he, he did this or he did that. As we record this, we talked last night, he hits for the cycle. Who knows what he's going to do this weekend before we even air this on Monday. What, what – when you look at a guy like Matt McClain who has really burst onto the scene as much as he has, what does he – offer uh, this Reds team over the long term in, in a sustained effort now that we're getting a bigger sample size out of him? Yeah, you know, I think he's just a guy that can do anything you need him to do. And I, I think that's a valuable thing. Obviously, on the defensive side, they're moving him around. He's a shortstop, but getting a chance to play second base with Ellie De La Cruz here, maybe mixing in some third on occasion as well. Um, so versatile in the infield. And then in terms of a hitter, you know, he he can he can hit for power. We've seen that. Uh, he leads the team in home runs. I think it's eight now after uh, hitting one last night and hitting for the cycle. Leads the team in, and runs batted in. He's been in that three spot in the batting order a lot of the year. Uh, but but he's also a guy that, that can get on base for you and, and, and uh, is willing to, to single to the opposite field if need be, if that's what the pitcher's given him. So... Um, I, I think that's what's been really impressive about him so far. Uh, he's been in the lineup every day. He's played in every game the bats have played. Uh, he was going to have a day off, but the game got rained out, and then he ended up playing in both games with a doubleheader the next day. So he's played in every game. Uh, he's been uh, extremely durable in that way, and, and, and through the first month-plus of the season, hasn't had any drop-off offensively, which uh, I think is really impressive. And, you know, just, just a guy who's – willing to kind of take what the what the pitcher gives him from an offensive standpoint and is, is willing to not force it if it's not there in terms of trying to hit for power. And I, I think, you know, all that together uh, is really impressive. And he can he can flat out fly, too. He, he's a really uh, good runner, and, and maybe that's a little bit of an underrated part of what he does right now because of how 
many other things he does well, but uh, really is a, a, a full package. And, and I think the approach is, is what is really cool to, to watch, at least for me. Ellie De La Cruz hasn't exactly had the season that Matt McClain or Christian Encarnacion Strand have had, but he's also 21 years old and playing at AAA, and he's kind of easing his way up now into, into the AAA level. He's hitting 232 as we record this on the minor league season. Um, uh, have you seen anything out of Ellie that, you know, for people that are, are listening to this or that are watching this right now that maybe don't follow the minor leagues as into I, I know a lot of people in this chat right now on the right side of the screen are, are tuned in every night to the bats. They watch all of these these players that are night in and night out because they know this is the future of the franchise and the organization. But we also have a lot of people that just might read the box score and they might see that, well, is is, is Ellie a, a step behind maybe a couple of these guys that have been around a little longer? Um, have you seen anything out of Ellie that you're thinking, okay, well, maybe by the end of the season, he just needs prolonged AAA time? What's your read on Ellie De La Cruz right now? Yeah, I think he's kind of starting to get it going, too. He's hitting, uh, I believe, seven of eight now um, after last night, a couple more hits. Uh, I, I think the thing with him is, from talking to Alex Pelaez, the bats hitting coach who, who's in his third year now and uh, working with Ellie, obviously, is uh, the way Alex puts it is is trying not to try. So, you know, up there, uh, not trying to do too much and just trying to to put the ball in play or, or take a walk if that's what um, if that's what the pitcher is willing to give you and work at bats and, and not try to force it in anything and, and not try to swing it at bad pitches just to try to make something happen and and uh, not swing to you know willing to take walks and, and not try to do too much so I, I think that's what he's continuing to work on and I, I think it's it's certainly starting to come around I think we've seen better at bats from him over the last um, several games and I, I think you know a couple more hits lagging out an infield hit uh and and uh flipping it to right field in a couple of instances in the last couple of days to to get base knocks uh, if he's hitting from the right side so i, I think um it, it's starting to show up and, and that willing to just kind of take what the other team is is giving you uh, but i think that's what it's about for him he, he's a guy that's made something happen you know his entire way up through the red system and that's what's special about him and certainly, I, I think that's what's going to continue to be special about him. But at times, being willing to just sort of take um, take what the other team's offering, especially when you have uh, guys hitting behind you who are uh, the caliber of Matt McClain and Christian Encarnacion Strand and, and others who have been great in this lineup as well. Um, you know, I, I think that's something that will have to be an adjustment in the big leagues too because you'll have really good hitters uh, hitting behind you when he does make it to the big leagues one day. And so I, I think all those things, just sort of being patient, um, is is what is starting to come around for him and it has been the thing he's working on. So Andrew Abbott, I got a couple more questions for you and I'll let you know. I know it's game day for you out there in Omaha. I, Andrew Abbott has made five starts this year, three in Chattanooga, two in AAA with Louisville. And he has pitched exceptionally well to this point. I mean, 1.4 ERA over those five starts 25 and two-thirds innings, and he has just been nails. I mean, four total runs given up on the season, two at each level. You're talking about somebody who has, has really come out strong this year. 
What has been most impressive to you about Abbott and maybe how his skill could translate here? Um, you know, because he's somebody who's been around the minor league system now for a couple of years and, and he's been in this red system and you know, he comes out of a strong program in Virginia. So he, he, he's, he's a college player. What, what gets you uh, most uh, excited at, at the AAA and Major League level about Andrew Abbott? Well, I think it's just that. Like, he does come from college, so already has some polish on him, had a really good uh, – obviously came from a really good college program. So I, I think he starts, you know, ahead of what maybe some other guys would. Um, being left-handed also doesn't hurt. And, and he's just um, – I mean, he's out there with a lot of poise on the mound. Um, that's been impressive to watch through two starts. Uh, you can tell that, that he's got a plan. Um, and, and he's got a way he wants to go about attacking hitters. And um, so far, I mean, the walk to strikeout number sort of indicated, but it, it doesn't look like uh, overpowering stuff when you're looking at a radar gun, but he can put the ball basically wherever he wants it. And uh, it, it's really fun to watch him pitch because that's, that's what he's doing, sequencing these pitches. And I'm not smart enough to know uh, what goes into that and, and, and exactly what all that is, but, but you can just tell that it works and, and he knows what he's doing out there and uh, he puts the ball wherever he wants it. And um, I think that's the, the cool thing, incredible control and um, willing to go after guys. He's not going to walk a lot of guys as we've seen so far this season uh, doesn't give in and, um, you know, racking up the strikeouts for those reasons. And it's just been uh, impressive. I, I think just the, the total package, the poise, the uh, the control and and just the the way he goes about his work each day is, is what's exciting and, and what will I, I think undoubtedly translate to the big leagues whenever that time comes all right last question for you and I'm not going to put you on the spot with when are these guys getting called up I know you're getting asked that probably every day I'm not we know they'll get called up when the time is right heck again they might be called up by the time this interview airs. Who knows? And, and then all of this is, is still evergreen info because it's been great. It's been really good catching up with you, Nick. It's been a while since you and I have talked, so I've really enjoyed this. But my last question for you, I'm going to give you a, a second here to, to make the pitch to Reds fans that are listening, maybe Reds fans that are frustrated, but you have been around this organization. You know how these rebuilds work. You know how these guys coming up through the minor, minor leagues and get to the major leagues, how they can produce at this level. You are there day in and day out at the AAA level, guys, right on the cusp. What is your pitch to Reds fans that are hoping that all of these guys can produce and bring a winning culture back to Cincinnati? What do you think you can say to all of them about what you see in these guys? Yeah, you know, around the bats uh, for, for 10 years, and I think – um, there's never been a collection of talent that this team has had like we're seeing this year. Um, there's been guys in the lower levels that people have been excited about. Maybe they get traded away. Maybe um, it doesn't quite pan out. You're talking about a collection of, of guys who are getting it done at the AAA level. That's obviously one step away from the big leagues. And um, I think that's what's exciting. Like, the collection of talent on this team, and I talked to a lot of people about this. I've been around 10 years, but there's plenty that have been around longer. Uh, Jim Kelch, home games. Uh, Greg Galliette, the Bats team president, has been around since 1984. The franchise started in 1982, so he's seen almost all of it. And uh, they're saying the same thing. Um, you know, 
can't remember a collection of talent like this uh, on on a Bats team. And I, I think that's what's exciting because it's all one from the big leagues and, and performing well one step away from the big leagues. And um, so I, I think that's where it's different. And, you know, in the past, guys have been coming up, but it's like one at a time, maybe a, a great position player, you know. We've talked a lot about Billy Hamilton this year because it was it was kind of Billy mania back in 2013, my <laughs> first year with the bats. And um, but now it's like that times four or five with with all the guys coming up right now. And, and I think um, that's the cool thing. And, and I think in the big leagues, you have a really solid foundation in terms of, uh, you know, three really young starters at the front end of the rotation in green and and Ashcraft and Lodolo. And that's a great foundational building block and then you're talking about a guy like Andrew Abbott certainly in the wings figures to be a part of that uh, as well in, in the coming years if not this year we'll see how things play out and and, and then uh, you know you look up and down the lineup you've got guys like Stevenson in India who figure to be around for a while and then this young core that is at AAA right now and and the guys coming up behind these guys at the lower levels of the minor leagues, there's a lot to be excited about, largely because of the the, the trades uh, the Reds pulled off last year. That that's a big part of it. Um, but but got Klain who came through the draft and Ellie who was signed. Um, you know, it's just it's different. The talent level seems to be different now compared to what it's been uh, at some other times in the organization. And and I think it, like from being around my time it's nothing like i've ever seen and i i think that's the exciting thing about these guys eventually making their way there nick voice of the louisville bats also the voice of louisville women's basketball too so you you have quite a, a prominent voice down there in louisville and i appreciate you coming on and joining us this morning it's been great and uh best of luck the rest of this week hey paul great to talk uh glad you're doing well and uh, appreciate you having me on yeah thanks nick appreciate it once again, thanks to Nick Curran for that interview, and we made it through, fellas. We made it through. Nobody got called up. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Would have been great content for the show if just 10 minutes ago we got the notification. Oh, Matt McClain added the 40-man roster. Matt McClain up here to, uh, up here to Cincinnati. But we made it through. Uh, yeah, the Reds did not have a great weekend. Saturday Saturday was fun. What a, what a day in the city of Cincinnati on Saturday. It was great weather. FC Cincinnati won. The Reds won a thriller. Um, FC, I saw Boom Shakalaka in the chat saying that his daughter, I believe, was part of the walkout crew with FC Cincinnati. Um, I lucked out with the tickets that I got. I have a very, very good friend from Xavier who works it, uh, at FC Cincinnati. Told me she had a couple extra tickets for Lizzie and I and just happened to be in the third row. And it was a great experience. I'd never, I, I, every time I've been to FC Cincinnati now, I've had a different experience. I've sat up at the top. I've sat kind of over by, not in the Bailey, but close enough to the Bailey. I was like two rows away. So close enough to get an idea of what the Bailey was like. I saw Sir Boy Wonder was in the Bailey. I did not actually get a chance to get up there and see him in person, but he was there. Sir Boy said he had a great time. And uh, now I've, I've sat pitch side. It was a phenomenal experience. You were right next to everybody as they walked out to the pitch. And then the game was great. Match was great, I should say. Great weather. Both teams, the Reds and the NFC win. The one thing about FC that I had forgotten until DC United showed up, just a coincidence, they were playing my hometown, DC United. Norfolk. Uh, Nor <laughs> Norfolk. 
Uh, yeah, DC United. Uh, I had I obviously I'm not a I'm not a DC United fan, but I forgot that Wayne Rooney was their manager. Oh, really? Wayne Rooney was their manager. So we're sitting there, and the team is walking out, maybe from halftime, walking back to the halftime locker room. And all of a sudden, a couple of people next to me, they're going, Wayne, Wayne, Wayne. I'm going, Wayne. I go, wait a second. I for, I, I think I remember something about Wayne Rooney and, and DC United. And I, I do a quick Google on my phone. Wayne Rooney was a manager of DC United. If you, I, and Casey tried to fight Wayne Rooney, would we win? No. Wayne seems like a fiery, fiery lad. He, yeah. And he's big, too. Yeah. I mean, soccer is not a big guy's sport. Defenders lean bigger and the goalies are obviously bigger guys but you get down into the attackers and some of these forwards the mids I, they're not big guys and they're tiny wayne rooney he's not, he's not tall he's not but he's, but he's not short either he's five nine so he's five nine he's got some build to him he's he's a big guy he is he's got some character to him and uh yeah so he's sitting there i don't know probably 50, 100 feet away from us over to the left, sitting there on the D.C. United bench. It was a great experience. I I really, it was another sellout for FC Cincinnati. And I don't want to get into the whole debate about the Reds and attendance versus FC and other things happening in the city on the night. I don't I don't need to get into all that here. We It's talked about enough. Look, 25,000 seats at the Red Stadium. You still have 15,000 seats open. I know the Reds have only sold out opening day this year, but if you go down to the Great American Ballpark and you put 25,000 people in the stands, you still have 15,000 seats that are, you know, fans painted red. It's not the same there at FC Cincinnati where you have a smaller, more confined area in a great stadium and a great environment. They put on a great product. The Bailey is electric, especially when it's sold out like it was. I'd love to hear from Sir Boy Wonder in the chat. Uh, how that uh, how that all went down for him. I have I've not sat actually in the Bailey. What I want to know is if they coordinate all of the stuff that they chant and cheer and everything else, because they go for ninety straight minutes. The match was two and a half hours. They go for probably the the, the entire ninety minutes that the match is going on. They are just nonstop. They're beating the drums. They're waving the flags. They're throwing the smoke bombs. They're doing everything. Do you think that? So you're talking about attendance and, and yeah. stadiums and trying to sell out Great American Ballpark. Do you think that there will ever be a time where baseball teams, though the ones that don't necessarily have as good of attendance, will start, you know, when it's time to build a new stadium, start making it smaller? Because I think the athletics yes. who are going from whatever Odotco holds, 90,000, yeah. however many people yeah. Oakland Coliseum holds, their new stadium is looking to have about 35,000 seats, which is a very small stadium in, in the MLB. That's like Tropicana Field, maybe that small, yeah. but no other field is that small. Do you think the Reds will ever do that? I would think that every stadium is trending toward that direction. You don't. It doesn't matter even really the sport. I think every stadium that you see that's getting built in any major professional sport now in the United States is starting to downsize because what you're finding is, and I, one of my best friends – works uh he works in or he used to work he doesn't anymore but he worked in in premium seating he's been all over the country working for a lot of different teams um and the one thing that he said he would always find when he was talking to people trying to sell this premium seating was how much people valued the premium seating and now the experience at the stadium and you see that like at xavier but personal example going down to the Cintas center they are completely renovating one side of the arena 
not this coming summer, but the next summer, they are going to renovate it and they're going to take out four or five suites on that concourse level on one side of the arena. And it's just going to be an open air bar. I don't, I think you have to have some kind of access to it. It's not public, publicly right. accessible or whatever, but it's going to be an open air space. What people are valuing more now in the American sports scene is the experience. They're going to a game. They're going to spend a lot of money because sports have become so outrageously expensive here in this country that you get to this point where you have to feel like you're valuing the experience. It's not just you're going to watch the game. Right. You get those diehard fans. You get the fans that have season tickets. You get the fans that want to go to every game and experience the, the game, whatever, the match. But you also have a sizable portion of that fan population that just wants to go and have a great experience. Yeah, I, I think part of the experience is getting a smaller venue, a more intimate thing. Like FC, 25,000 fans, it's filled out, it's packed, it's loud. That's a way better experience than half the stadium being empty. You can have the same amount of people at Great American Ballpark, and it won't be the same experience just because it's so intimate. So I wonder if Major League Stadiums are going to do, like you yeah. said, more premium seating, but also make it a more intimate experience to where there's 25,000 fans. That fills up a stadium. It's loud, it's proud, and – I think that'd be a better way to go than 40,000-person 40, 40, stadiums. The only downside to that is that when you get into the postseason, it's electric to have that many fans. Right. Well, like stadiums like Bush Stadium, Yankee Stadium, Wrigley Field, Dodger Stadium that hold 50,000. Well, I think Wrigley's like 42. Yeah. They still would – I mean, they sell out. So yeah. there's no point in downsizing if you sell out. Yeah, but to a, to a team that knows its market and knows that – they're trying to play to whatever they're trying to play to. Mm -hmm. But it, it is interesting. I, I made a comment to Lizzie while we were sitting there because the Reds and, and FC were going at the same not time. Now, to be fair, I had a free ticket to FC and the timing worked better. We were at Miami for a three o'clock first pitch and I thought there was one, I wanted to go to an FC match because I probably wasn't going to make it to one till July. Looking at the schedule, I didn't really have any Saturdays open until July with a home match that worked out. Just more opportunities to go to Reds games throughout the season. But two, Reds were starting at 640, much easier to make it to a 730 match. But I was sitting there and I made the comment to her and I said, you know, we, I love baseball. And I was sitting there thinking, how many people in this stadium are, are like us where, you know, if, if FC was not going on, we would have gone to a game. It would have been the Reds. Mm -hmm. we, we were going to be somewhere at a sporting event in downtown right. Cincinnati on Saturday night. Sure. It would have been the Reds, but instead we got a free ticket. I would not have paid for that ticket to FC Cincinnati. I would have paid to go to the Reds, but we got it. We went down. We had a great experience. I'll be back. I can't wait to go back to another one. You know, seven matches. They're undefeated at home. Seven and not even with a draw. Seven wins. They win. They come home. They defend their home turf. They win. They win. Brandon Ramsey from Kentucky Sports Radio. How are you doing, my friend? It's been a long time since we talked last. It's great to see you. It's been a lot that's happened. Kentucky's college basketball season ended since the last time we talked. You were a great guest on the Rebound Rundown. Got a lot of positive feedback from that. You also cover the Reds. And it's time to talk a little bit about both. How are you doing, Brandon? Doing well, and really appreciate you having me back on with you. So let's get into the Reds first. Let's get your overall impressions. We had Nick Curran on a few minutes ago talking about the uh, the state of the union down there in AAA 
with the Reds and some of those prospects that may or may not get called up here in the next week or so. Um, what, what's kind of your overall impression with the Reds at the major league level right now and, and what this team is doing? Because they're five and a half games out of first place, Brandon. And I'm not saying they're going to compete for first, but they're at least kind of ex- they're kind of exciting right now a little bit. I do think that they are kind of an exciting team right now. And, and and something I've talked about a lot, you know, early this season is that not only are they exciting and they, they seem like a competitive group you know, that they played, I think, 14 one-run games already this season, um, that, that they've had a stretch here with several come-from-behind wins, which obviously just brings more excitement to the team. But probably as important as anything, there's also at least a trajectory here for a little bit of hope in terms of we, the Reds have a, a starting pitching core that, you know, w- with, with Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, and Grant Ashcraft, these guys are all 26 and under. Uh, something I wrote about yesterday was uh, Jonathan India, TJ Friedel, and Spencer Steer all kind of getting hot at the plate. That's another young core that is all 27 and under. So here you have you know, six of your best players on your team overall, three on the pitching staff, three position players and hitters that are all young guys that will hopefully um, at least some of these guys can be locked up long term. Now, we all know, you know it's a small market team. It's in Cincinnati Reds. I don't necessarily expect them to empty their pockets and pay all of these guys. But if you can at least you know, hang on to them for a couple of years on their current contracts or pick and choose which ones you're going to pay, I do like at least the trajectory in which things are going, and if we can, and if we can somewhat compete along the way, and you know, push 500, put push the top of the NL Central. Well, that's even better. And I think that this year we at least have a ball club that you know hopefully will hang around where they are now, or even improve from here. Where do you see this team going right now, Brandon? In the sense of you know coming off a loss yesterday like that, where you just you just throw it away. Like, game was over from the second inning. You don't even think anything more of it. Seventeen to four, a terrible loss. But you're coming off an exciting win on Saturday. I know you lose two out of three to the White Sox, but now you you get back to the National League. If day off today, play the Mets. Where do you see the trajectory of this team right now, especially if they can get some of these guys up soon, like a McLean or or a CES type guy? I, I think that, you know, potentially adding so, some, some more of these younger, talented minor league guys just helps the depth more than anything else because that that's something that is worrisome for the current Reds team, at least in my opinion, if you're looking at what they can actually accomplish going forward, is that the margin for error is still pretty low in, in that, you know, all three facets of the game – you feel like kind of have to go right in order for them to win because no one of them is necessarily dominant enough to carry you. You know, we we have some solid starting pitching, but the bullpen is much better than I probably expected, but still inconsistent. You know, you're, you're, you're not going to, over the course of a three-game series, expect them to be great all three games. And then same thing with your starting pitching staff. Right now we're rolling out, you know, Luke Weaver and Sessa still, who you know probably aren't major league caliber starters. So that puts a lot of strain on your offense to pick up. And the offense is obviously inconsistent enough that there's going to be games where they only score one or two runs and you need your pitching staff. So as we can continue to just add talented pieces, then you start to fill in some of these gaps where you don't feel like that any one facet of the game has to be perfect for things to go well. And I think that's what you're seeing 
with the Reds so far this season, and part of why you're only 14 and 20, um, is that there isn't that margin for error yet because the depth and the overall talent pool still doesn't match that of the upper echelon teams, even in the Central, but, you know, certainly as you look at a, a larger picture of Major League Baseball. One theme that we talk about a lot on this show, or at least that I talk about, is that it feels like it's important for this group to learn how to win together and to win some games, even maybe if they're not competing for the top of the NL Central, at least that they're learning how to win together. I know, again, coming off 17-4, to 4, that's, this maybe isn't the best question to ask, but how much do you value this young core and and starting to build a winning culture and actually win some games, whether that be down at Louisville together or then up to Cincinnati together? I think that's extremely important and probably as valuable as anything else that you're going to get in a season like this. Because let's face it, we all want the Reds to win every game if they can. I would love for them to make a push to the postseason. But realistically, this might not be the year yet for that to happen. However, as you said, the, the, when you are playing these young guys and these young guys that you are going to count on to make those pushes for the postseason and win the NL Central and play in October going forward, you do need those guys to start to have the confidence of, hey, this is a good baseball team that can start to put some pieces together and, and start to have you know, some momentum in, in, in years to come. So you, you want those guys to experience success and experience winning with each other and in Cincinnati so that, A, maybe there's a little bit more value to them to stick around, but also you just don't want to get into this situation where you have guys that are you know becoming 26, 27, 28 and still have never really felt what it's like to play super meaningful baseball games because you're always 20 games under 500. I think the longer you can at least stay in the hunt, the more wins you can rack up, then I, I do think that you're more ready then to make that next step into the postseason. It's the same thing you talk about a lot of times in other sports. Like the first time you make the playoffs generally isn't going to be the time that you win it. You need to go through some of those growing pains a little bit. So you know, obviously the quicker you can go through some of the growing pains, the quicker you can start to experience some of the success that we all want on the back end. All right, let's switch gears now to Kentucky. You see that logo back there behind you, Brandon Ramsey again, who I'm talking to from Kentucky Sports Radio. It was a, a roller coaster of a week last week for Kentucky basketball because there were some rumors about Hunter Dickinson. Is he going to pick the Wildcats? He ends up going out to Kansas. Oscar Shibway, what's he going to do? There's a lot going on right now in Kentucky. So can you give us a, a State of the Union on, let's start with, the whole debacle is not the right word because I think a lot of people got the sense as the recruitment went on that it wasn't going to be Kentucky, but it just felt like it dragged on for a while with the whole Dickinson trauma. What was your read on that whole situation, Brandon? Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of what we've experienced the last week or two as it comes to recruiting and the transfer portal, it's almost like a continuation of what the Kentucky basketball fan experience was through this through, through the regular season and into the postseason where you, know, you, you start to get your hopes up after three or four straight wins, and then you lose to South Carolina or, or, or whatever it may be. Or, you know, you, you, you beat Providence in the first round, you feel like you have a chance to beat Kansas State, and then it comes crashing down even as your East region really opens up on, on the back end. And, and 
to compare that to the last couple of weeks, you know, Kentucky fans have long been, rightfully so, super excited about this incoming recruiting class of freshmen. It's the number one recruiting class in the country. You have four top 10 guys, five-star recruits, kind of back to that old school John Calipari recruiting class. We were really excited about that. And then a couple guys hit the portal. What's Oscar Sheway going to do? What's Chris Livingston going to do? What's Antonio Reeves going to do? It feels like some of the passage of time has maybe made some people forget that we still have the number one recruiting class coming in. And then also, when you are kind of there till the end, having a chance to land you know, the ultimate replacement for Oscar Shibway, who in a lot of ways might have been an upgrade in Hunter Dickinson, who's an All-American and a great low post scorer who has a little bit more versatility. Kentucky had all of the excitement again of, you know, what, what, can, what, what can the Cats be with Dickinson and these elite freshmen? And then you don't get him, and now all of a sudden, you know, we, we probably overreacted to pushing the panic button a little bit too much again. Um, but, but we are getting to a point where, hey, it's, it's May 8th, and we don't know who our starting five man's going to be. And that's even more worrisome when the last two years that's been an All-American. So th- th- there are still certainly pieces to fill on this roster. Some of that will be determined by stay-or-go decisions, which have to be made by May 31st. And then we have the transfer portal deadline of May 11th coming up, which people don't have to make their decisions, but nobody knew was going to enter the portal after that time. So if you're looking for some front court depth or, you know, even a starting five man in the portal, you know, it's kind of start starting to be time to make some decisions on who those guys are going to be. So I, I, I think in terms of the state of the union, if you were kind of to sum it up, there's definitely an anxiousness to Kentucky fans at this point. Um, I think a lot of us probably live in that state of anxiousness at almost all times since there's been a, you know, a, a lack of postseason success <laughs> for several years now. But we, we, we're certainly kind of ready to see what the roster is going to look like in 2023-2024. Cal's not going anywhere. Right. I, 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 I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, I think that this year is going to, you know, it – it's going to be a roster that probably fits how he wants to play a little bit more. You know, the, this isn't necessarily a critique of him, but you know, he, he, and it, it might sound obvious because all coaches want to coach the best talent, but he's not necessarily one that's as comfortable grinding out wins with, you know, half-court offensive execution. And that's what Kentucky has had to do more so these last couple of years in an absence of elite, you know, one-and-done five-star talent. Um, and, and getting back to some of that with DJ Wagner, Rob Dillingham, Aaron Bradshaw around the basket, certainly Justin Edwards. Um, you know, I, I think that the pieces fit his style of play a little more. But to your point, I, I do think it's probably a little bit also of a put up or shut up period where, you know, if it, if it works out how we all want it to work out, okay, now Kentucky's back, Coach Cal's back. It worked out how we all wanted. If, if you do go into a season saying, all right, Cal, this is what you always wanted. This is your roster, and it still doesn't work out. You know, now I think all of that pressure surrounding the program just continues to mount. Um, but does that mean he's going anywhere in any form or fashion? I would be shocked. All right, last question for you, Brandon, and I'll let you go. Uh, 
as it relates to this show, obviously we have a lot of people listening to this show who are Cincinnati basketball fans, and they just got the addition of C.J. Frederick, who was the transfer from Iowa to Kentucky and now from Kentucky to Cincinnati. Things just didn't really work out for C.J. at Kentucky. Never really felt like he had that spot that he maybe thought he was going to have. The role was tough for him to, to find. He was also hurt most of the time. He was at Kentucky. What are Cincinnati fans getting out of C.J. Frederick, in your opinion, from what you've seen in his time in Kentucky, which was much different than his time at Iowa? Yeah, I, I think the thing I would tell Cincinnati fans is that I wouldn't so much worry about his you know, perceived lack of success at Kentucky compared to what you know Cats fans thought when he was coming in from Iowa. I, I you, 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 you mentioned it there, but he was injured for – you know, he was at Kentucky for two years. It seemed like he was constantly injured during d d during that that time. Now, I might be worried about that side of things because over the course of his career, staying healthy has certainly been an issue. Um, but when you boil it down to basketball, and, and if, if Cincinnati gets a healthy C.J. Frederick, I think you're going to see a return to the mean in terms of his shooting percentages. You know, he, he was he, – he played most of this season with a – you know, essentially with a splint or a stint on his – on his shooting hand. Well, we can all imagine, you know, however good or bad of a shooter you are, you're probably worse if you have a brace on your right hand. Um, and I think that if he can recover from those injuries and, you know, his ankles are healthy and all of that, having an off season to be able to put in some work and then just being healthy in the games and not having, you know, an apparatus that's, you know, limiting your shooting hand, I think that you'll see him return to that 40 plus percent three point shooter, um, and, and, and yeah, he, he, there, there were some issues because he wasn't making shots Then his role was never fully developed or clear on a game to game basis because it's hard to run out there who a guy who is at your school to shoot threes if he's not making threes. Um, but uh, again, I, I think you're getting a guy who's going to work hard, who loves basketball. He, you know, he's even back closer to home than he already was. So I, I think a lot of those things are pointing in the right direction for him. And if he's healthy, then I think you're getting you know, one of the elite shooters in college basketball, just like he was at Iowa. Brandon Ramsey from Kentucky Sports Radio. Thanks so much for joining me this morning, Brandon. Have a great rest of your day. Paul, thanks for having me on. Right, talk to you soon. There you have it, C.J. Frederick, the Reds, everything else. We got it covered here for you on Off the Bench, and we are sponsored on Off the Bench. We're going to talk more about the Bengals here coming up. Got a lot of Bengals talk here over the last 40 minutes or so. Um, the Bengals Report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data center world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Almost got me. I think it's... Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. I don't think I missed a line. Uh, all right. And then Pawnee, are you still drinking regular water? You shouldn't be. Did you know that alkaline water has been shown to have superior hydration benefits versus regular water in a cl clinical study? We were educated on this last week. There got is me hooked. A, Tell me more. There is a new premium alkaline water out. I've been, I got it right here. It's Pawnee. And I have to tell you. It tastes, it tastes really good. What? It's just water. 
Ingredients, water. Water. Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Please visit their website at pawneewater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. I found Pawnee Water in a gas station over on a... Heading out to Ross, I forget what that, that road's called, but nice little marathon. And, I'll, you know, we say that the ingredients are just water, but I don't think people fully understand what we're saying there. If you look at other alkaline waters, and we know about alkaline water, right? It's got superior hydration benefits. But the way that other brands use it is got to put chemicals in it. they got to put it through an artificial processing. Mm-mm. Pawnee water, natural limestone filtration, and that's how they get the alkaline water. And it's great, Paul. It's it is great. Good. So I, uh, as Tom likes to say, got tanked up, all tanked up. A little tanked up. A little tanked up a couple weekends ago. Probably mm. more tanked up than I've been in, in quite some time. Got a little loose. Got a little loose. And Tied you know what? Off. I threw, uh, before I left the house, I was, I was going over. Uh, it was a wedding a couple of weekends ago. And before I left the house, I thought, you know what? I'm going to throw some Pawnee water in the car that I can drink in the morning. And wouldn't you know, Pawnee water got me right the next morning. We were we were feeling a lot better. And we probably could have been if we were drinking any other water. So mm. thank you, Pawnee. Mm. Uh, one other bit of news here before we get to uh, as our segment on the Bengals. Casey McAllister is going to be the one doing the chat power rankings yeah. this week. Reed is not going to be here on Friday. I will be here, but I had the honor of doing the chat power rankings last Friday bestowed on me by our good friend Reed Mouse. Did a good job. I thought I was very happy with my rankings. I don't like how Mouse Cops, number one, but the rest of the rankings were fair. I, I was very happy with how the rankings turned out. Friday is going to be Casey McAllister week, which means it is Monday, and it is the start of Be Nice to Casey week. If you want to be on these chat power rankings this week, you need to butter up to Casey because he's going to be the one putting these rankings out. So it is uh, just saying, if you want to put that little trophy on your mantle, there's no participation trophies around these parts. But Casey's going to be giving out his chat power rankings. Yeah, I'll be making a list. Ooh. And I'll be checking it twice. Ooh. Trying to make sure that everyone's being nice. Not naughty. But not naughty. You know, so. who's, you know who's been naughty? Who? The number one. The current number one in the chat power rankings, Mouse Cop, who's always what? on my case. Listen, earlier in the show. Is it wearing on you, Reed? It is. It's wearing on you. I have. I a- can tell. You come in. Mouse Cop, he comes in and he vents to me in the morning. I'm, I'm subjected to this. The funny thing about being a heel, as I like to be from sometimes, is when you're a heel, you got to have thick skin, and I just don't. I'm incredibly thin-skinned. So earlier in the show, Mouse Cop is getting on my case for not talking into the microphone. And the reason I wasn't talking in the microphone is because I was looking this way. So my voice is projecting this way. So everyone's like, Reed, talking to your mic. So now I'm looking at the camera, and Mouse Cop saying, Reed, stop looking into the camera. So I just can't win. I can't win with the player formerly known as Mouse Cop. And you know what? I've just got to get over it. There's toxic people in your life. Mouse Cop is one of them. So I'm just I'm just shunning Mouse Cop from here on out. Mm. The skin is too thin for Mouse Cop. So you are breaking it off with Mouse Cop. Yes. Breaking it off. The, the Mouse Jer- Cop. We're both Reed. members of the Jerome Hunter fan club, but I can't do it anymore. I can't. I can't. You know, sometimes it's good, Reed. You just got to be able to establish boundaries and know 
do you just you just know the situation you're aware of what's going on you got to cut out toxic relationships in your life and the toxicity that comes from the player formerly mouse cop directed at me got to cut it out got to snip it cut it you're more of a chad waits guy chad waits butters me up and i love it i'm a guy who who <laughs> it's easy to butter me up you just got to be nice to me a few times and ooh, i love it uh, we also, at some point, it's not going to be an official thing. We're not going to do like sponsored term. Well, maybe I don't want to speak for the company, but at some point we are going to get out and play golf. I, we've had too many people ask about that to not make it happen at some point this summer. At some point we will all get out and play golf together. I don't know what that looks like, but we will. I'm excited to get the chicken sticks out. I haven't played yet this year, so I I'm am, excited to get them out. I am playing at some point this week. Haven't haven't locked it in yet, but I have not played well at all this 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 season. I guess you could say not good, not good. Mm. All right, we have Richard Skinner from Local Twelve coming up at eleven thirty. Let's right now. We were going to do top five, but let's just do top three. We don't know the Bengals' schedule yet. We were going to tease this for the uh, for Friday because we thought that the NFL schedule was going to come out on Friday. Now Reed tells me that. It might not come still out on might. Friday. Still oh, might. Oh, it still might. Still okay. might. It still might. They're meeting today. All right. So let's plan on it still coming out on Friday. But we do know the opponents. We know who the uh, Bengals are going to play at home. We know who the Bengals are going to play on the road. We're just going to say which three games we are looking forward to the most this upcoming Bengals season. Maybe a little bit on why that is. We've got eight minutes to do this. We're going to start from number three and work up to number one. Casey, as our resident Bengals expert, please give us your game that you are looking forward to the third most this coming year. The third most. Um, I don't want to steal anyone else's pick here, so I'm going to go out on a limb here. Mm. My third game that I'm most excited to watch this season I think is the up-and-coming Seattle Seahawks. I think that team is right now underrated. I think they've got a really, really talented offense. I think they did enough on defense to, you know, they've got a really solid secondary, and I think they, they got some edge rushers now that can compete and make it, make it so that they can get some, some pressure on the quarterback. And um, I think that is the team that is – when we look at the schedule – like at the end of the season, we're going to say that game was a big game or uh, depending on when we play them. But I think hopefully that's towards the end of the season, because I think that that's going to be a really good matchup. Reed. Uh, number three, I think going to San Francisco and playing the 49ers is going to be a tough game. So that's, I'm, I'm purely looking at the, the most marquee matchups. And I think they're all out of conference or out of division. I should say the 49ers are probably going to be the third best team we play next year. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm going to say the Chiefs, the game at Arrowhead Stadium, because I don't think you can make a, a list like this and not have the Chiefs on that list. But I'm just not as juiced up for that game now that this will be the fifth time. Are you saying that the Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs versus the Bengals game is tired? Yeah, I'm kind of over it. Like I am. I'm sorry. I don't know. Maybe I'm on an island with that take, but I'm kind of over it. Like We're we. We're not at the end of this rivalry. It's just beginning, Paul. I know, but I, we've seen it so much in such a short amount of time now. It, it's like one of those things where sometimes people argue, 
I'm again, I always default to college basketball. The Crosstown shootout is great because it happens one time a year. You get bragging rights for a year. I'm not saying that it's a bad game. I'm just now we're going to see it for the fifth time in 18 months. It's, it's going to be a great game. It's going to be a great game. But I'm not looking forward to it as much as, as two other games this coming year. You know, you're a Bengals fan, correct? Yes. It is awesome that Bengals lose the first time to the Chiefs and you're like, all right, I'm over it. It's done. I know that's not the reason that oh, I mean, yeah, kind of. It is. It is a coincidence that it's just like ah, we lost. It's over now. Yeah. It's like you know what? I struck out. We're not playing wiffle ball anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, it's like, I mean, it's there. There are fifth. Uh, what fourteen other games that I'm I'm less excited about than that one, but there are two more games that I'm more excited to watch because it's maybe I, it's probably going to be the Thursday night game to open the season, right? Hopefully. That's probably what it's going to be. That'd be great. So maybe as maybe the schedule could get my excitement up for it a little bit, but I'm just purely looking at the opponents and where they're playing. I'm more excited for two other games. Casey, what's number two for you? Number two. Again, I'm going to not say something that hopefully all of us will say later on. Um, I'm actually thinking the Rams might be really exciting too because that's the Super Bowl rematch. Mm. Um I just think there's going to be a lot of maybe bad blood there. Uh, could see it maybe getting a little out of hand. Hmm. Um, that's another NFC West opponent. I like a lot of the NFC West matchups. I, I agreed with Reed. I think that's a really good matchup with the 49ers. Marquee. I just I didn't want to say some of the obvious ones for me. But I think the Rams, that's one that's also a very underrated matchup for Bengals fans in general because of the bad blood there. Okay. Reed? Uh, obvious pick, I think the Bills at home. I think yeah. the Bills at home is going to be a, a great game. I think they're probably – I don't know when that game's going to be, so I'm not going to speculate on it. But yeah. we never got to saw that. We never got to see that at Paycor Stadium last year. So it's going to be exciting for to welcome the Bills being home again. I think the Bills are going to be AFC contenders once again. So that's a good one. Yeah, the Bills was also – that that was my pick in this one too. And Maybe I'm – Am I over the Bills too? I don't think I'm over the Bills. I'm a, <laughs> they only. I'm just kidding. I'm just gotta evolve. I'm gotta just evolve quickly. Look, if I'm gonna put the Chiefs number one, like everybody's gonna put the Chiefs number one. I, I we're not doing that. You're zagging. Chiefs, we're we're zagging it. a little bit. Uh, all right, number one, Casey. What game are you most looking forward to this season without knowing when it's gonna be played? Well, I'm gonna cheat because it's actually two games. Okay. Ooh. Ooh. The Ravens. Go. You. All right. Go ahead. I I think that. There is a lot of bad blood there. I think with the contract that Lamar just got, um, you know, there was a lot of talk of this Ravens team being the worst team without Lamar. And now that they've got Lamar, there's a lot of drama there. And it just seems like the Ravens fans just keep chirping at us. Just keep chirping at us all offseason long. Like, just recently, they, they claimed that there was no memorable moments versus... Bengals versus Ravens, that yep. the Bengals had favorable moments. And we just ripped off, like, I don't know, 15 of them. And they just couldn't stand that. Ravens got, like, one or two, maybe in the past, like, 10 years against the Bengals. So, I don't know. I, I think that's one that I'm looking forward to the most. And if people that have watched the show know, I hate the Ravens more than any of the other teams for personal reasons. So, that is, <laughs> that is why I am looking forward to the most. The Ravens matchups. Raid. Uh, I mean, 
Pretty easy one for me. Burrowhead playing the Chiefs Burrow and Burrowhead okay. is going to be great again. It's, I mean, it's the best. I think it's the best rivalry in, in the league right now. So, the Ravens were my pick too, Casey. The Ra- and I was debating That's which ga- I was debating which game would have more bad blood. And I'm, I'm similar to you in picking both games. I'm going to cheat and say whichever game you're probably going to have one of those games in prime time. Right. So whichever one of those games ends up in prime time will be the game that I'm most looking forward to. Probably in Paycor. Probably, yeah, I would agree with that. But whichever one of those games ends up in prime time, I think I'm going to be looking. Now you, Casey, you didn't have the Chiefs on your list at all. So no. I, I had them at three and said I was a little bit over it, but I'm still like it's still a top three game that I'm looking forward to this season and extremely excited for it. You just just threw them to the wayside. Well, everyone, if we were to do it based on are they in your top five no they are like i i would have the chiefs and the bills but i just didn't want to say it because i thought all of us would say chiefs and bills no one said texans or cardinals (laughs) no one go ahead casey but i mean i there's a lot of good games this season if you just look at the schedule i really like the nfc west um besides the cardinals i think i think that we're, we're we have we play a lot of rookies this year Houston, Colts. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe that's it. <laughs> oh, Tennessee. But a lot. Tennessee. Tennessee. Will Levis. So Casey Stetson yeah. Bennett's going to win the starting job. So put the Rams on there. Yeah. <laughs> True. Rams. Yeah. Casey, you said that the uh, the bank the the Raven. There was a report that the Ravens were talking about drafting Reed and I's guy. Will. Yeah. Will Levis. If if they had not come to an agreement with Lamar Jackson they could have potentially with their first round pick picked Will Levis okay which that was very could have been that could have been our guy Reed that's a decision they will forever rue we would have you and I would have been in a bad spot oh my god yeah yeah that we're, it's a good thing that that didn't happen because you would, and I would have yeah, would have been would have been a real tough spot for us to be in because Will Levis is going to be the most valuable player in the National Football League. So, yeah, Will, and you oh, know, well. AJ makes a great point. Look at the chat read. AJ makes a great point. Casey, spot on. Didn't have the Chiefs in there. He's spot on. Mm. Mm. That's good. It's good. It's good. Uh, we do have Richard Skinner coming up here in just a second. I, I'll get I'll get Skinny's thoughts on the. Uh, on the Bengals and the Chiefs and see what he says. You're, we're always in for a good opinion from Skinny on, on that one and, and see what he got with the with the horses over the weekend. Richard Skinner, how are you, my friend? It's great to see you. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for taking a few minutes this morning. You bet. Thanks for having me. Local 12 digital sports columnist and editor Rick Broering is in the chat. I see him right now. So Rick will be uh, intently listening on whatever whatever we talk about here. I don't know if you caught the end of that segment that we were just doing, but we were talking about an anticipation of the Bengals' schedule this season, what the top three games are that we're looking forward to the most. I said the Chiefs were number three. I'm not looking forward to playing that. You know, we've kind of done that thing now. Not looking forward to it as much as being able to play a full regular season game against the Bills and then – some bad blood against the Ravens. What are you looking forward to this season, Skinny, and anticipation of the schedule? I think those three opponents specifically, the, the Chiefs on that Thursday night opener just seems like almost a slam dunk to me. Um, and then Buffalo was a rematch on a Monday night. And then Baltimore whenever Baltimore takes place. What do you think that Baltimore game? You think that, that ends up being one of those games got to be a primetime game, right? 
Yeah, I think they get five primetime games, probably a Thursday, two Sundays, and two Mondays. And, and those, the ones we just mentioned, are three of them. Um, I could see the other two being the divisional opponents, you know, Pittsburgh being a primetimer and, and Cleveland being a primetimer. So that would probably take care of all the five primetime games they're going to get. So, Skinny, we haven't had you on this show before. And again, I really appreciate you taking the time. Let's get your overall thoughts. As I like to say, a state of the union, where the Bengals are right now, coming out of the draft, now into the into the throes of the offseason. Where are the Bengals right now in your mind? I think they've improved their roster um, and they've been able to keep the, the core guys together and are going to try to continue to do that. I think that's what this draft was all about, was drafting for the present depth-wise and then putting guys on defense on a rookie contract when you were going to have to end up paying all that money to keep the core of guys on, on offense. So it's a really good roster. They've done a great job of managing it. Um, they've kept most of the pieces together. They were able to go out and get Orlando Brown, which I think surprised everybody. Um, so I think it's a great roster. I think it's, it's, it's the best in the AFC, in my opinion. How'd you think they did in the draft? I thought they did great. And, and again, I think some of this I know the tight end story, and I know obviously you're familiar with Michael Maripol, and, and that's a little disappointing from a storyline perspective that it didn't come out. But they don't, they, they just don't look at that as a premium position. So they weren't going to use a premium pick on that, and then the board never fell their way. But uh, Miles Murphy can come in and give you some instant juice in the pass rush, and then possibly fill in for Trey Hendrickson next year, get Trey Hendrickson off the books at 15.9 mil cap savings. DJ Turner, I mean, you know, Cam Taylor-Britt was a huge addition last year, right? I mean, when they got D.J. Turner, or when they got Cam Taylor-Britt, rather, um, you know, he ended up starting the last nine games of the regular season in the playoffs. You're one injury away from needing a cornerback to slide in there, hence D.J. Turner. Um, and then I think Jordan Battle pick was a great pick. Um, it gives you more uh, pieces at safety. Uh, you don't have a lot of proven talent there at the moment, so the more the merrier, and he's certainly a kid that um, is going to provide some big-time snaps. And, and the same for the next two picks. You know, uh, Chase Brown in the fifth round was, was a – Good pick maybe for the present, depending on what they do with Joe Mixon. And Charlie Jones, again, gives you more dynamic fourth receiver, uh, gives you a punt returner, and then can be the slot receiver next year if you move on from Tyler Wood, which you probably will. It seems like Charlie Jones, I'm glad you brought him up, because it seems like he's the name that everybody keeps coming back to. It's a spicy name. It's a you know, later round draft pick, but he's somebody that is getting a lot of talk and publicity here. Are you buying all that hype, Skinny? I am as a returner initially. You know, listen, the, the numbers don't suggest a lot other than last year at Purdue. And was that just because that's what that offense was, was a pass first, second, third, fourth, fifth, ninth, tenth. I mean, that's all they did was throw the ball around at Purdue. But he was also very productive. Maybe you could argue it's the first great opportunity he had to be productive in an offense. He was in Iowa's offense for a couple of years, and that wasn't a very dynamic offense. Then he was in, um, you know, Buffalo's offense when he was coming out of, out of high school. So, you can argue that it was opportunity, and, and he met the opportunity head on. I certainly think he's going to give you more dynamic than what you have in Trent Irwin or Trent Taylor right off the bat, um, and certainly more in the return game. But I'm excited for the pick just because it, it just seems like the right fit in the fourth round to take a guy like that. We obviously the talk for the last couple of years, the offensive line, offensive line. We've we, we've talked about it enough. We've we've heard all about it. We we know the story and everything like that. But they go out and they get Orlando Brown. And now you're, you're trying to get some guys back from injury. You're trying to make sure that Joe Burrow stays upright. Where do they stand uh, on the offensive line as far as what you think they need to do versus what they've done versus where they are right now? Yeah, I know there's a lot of hand-wringing of them not taking a, an offensive line and specifically a tackle. I, I never really thought they were going to do it at any point in this draft. Um, I was even surprised they re-signed Max Sharping, and I think that signified that they were going the veteran route again in the backup role. 
you got five guys at right tackle at the moment. You're not going to have all five when the season starts because, you know, you're either going to move on from Jonah Williams or Lyle Collins will take some time getting back from injury, and then they're going to have to make a, a, a salary cap decision with one of those two, specifically Lyle, if, he, if he's healthy and, and you're keeping Jonah. I, I'm telling you, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of buzz around Jackson Carmen. We talked to him last Monday. He looked great. Um, you know, he's, he seems like he's taking this far more seriously. I think the, the way he played in the playoffs was a real confidence boost. Um, and I think he gives you great value as a swing swing backup tackle who you can feel good about starting. You know, I, I do think that guard as a backup is maybe an issue. You know, you saw it in the playoff game where Max Sharping couldn't block Chris Jones. But that's what you signed Alex Kappa for. Alex Kappa was going to be the guy that would block the Chris Joneses of the world. Unfortunately, he got hurt. And, and frankly, I, I know everybody scratches their head about depth. But depth in this league at the offensive line spot is just dicey at best. You, you can't overpay for it because you got to pay so many other spots. And you hope the Max Sharpings pan out. You hope the, the Hakeem Adenogies pan out. You hope that, that the Cordell Bolsons panned out. And, and, and he did. So I think the offensive line is fine. The Brown piece was the big piece. You got yourself a bona fide Pro Bowl left tackle. And that's the main spot on the offensive line for sure. You can you can mask right tackle. And listen, if Jonah Williams plays at a at an at a, at a okay level, which he did at left tackle, an okay level at right tackle you can get away with. And so I, I would feel comfortable if I'm Joe Burrow, especially with what they got now with Orlando Brown. Two more Bengals questions for you before we talk a little bit about the local transfer portal. The first question I have for you is I, I had been advocating for the Bengals to go out and improve the pass rush. Get somebody that can get to the quarterback. Put a little pressure on the guy who's throwing the ball. They try to do that with Miles Murphy. Did they do that as well as you maybe had hoped? I was listening to the Skinny Podcast you and Rick were talking about. Did they go out, they get a pass rusher? They did that. How do you like that? I do. I like it because I think you can do a lot of things. Number one, it gives you another rotational piece for Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard. And, and those guys, you know, they, they – um, they played a lot of snaps when healthy last year, and they played a lot of snaps unhealthy, especially Trey. Trey played hurt for a good chunk of the year. And then you can maybe slide Miles Murphy inside and tackle with, if you want to go with kind of a NASCAR package with, with really four ends on the field. Uh, Sam Hubbard inside, and he's done that before in his career with Miles Murphy and then Joseph Osai and, and, and Trey Hendrickson on the outside. I think part of the lack of pass rush last year, Paul, was doing again in part to, to some guys. B.J. Hill played way too many snaps. I mean, he was better in a rotational role and, and got worn down in games. I mentioned Trey played hurt, but, you know, a lot of times Trey and Sam could get pressure from the outside, but when D.J. Reeder got hurt and that push from the inside wasn't there, um, quarterbacks were able to just escape up in the pocket or buy a little bit of extra time. That's why the sack totals were low. I, I think with what Lou Anarumo's got piece-wise and, and personnel-wise, He's going to do a lot of fun things with, with the potential pass rush. And, and you're right. I think it makes a lot of sense. And you can see it. You bulk up on pass rushers. You bulk up on secondary because you're going to have to go through Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, um, now Aaron Rodgers, uh, Lamar's back, obviously, Deshaun Watson, a healthy Josh. You're going to have to go through a lot of good quarterbacks in your division um, and, and in the conference to get out. And you're not going to do it if you can't get to those quarterbacks and if you can't stop them in the secondary. It's just going to be too many shootouts. And eventually you're not winning all those shootouts. Last Bengals question for you. A lot of the discussion around the, the special teams unit last year was the punting. And they go out, they draft the punter. Brad Robbins was Drew Chrisman. Of course, you cut Kevin Huber is not going to be really a factor in it. Where is, the, where is the punting situation right now? Yeah, I mean, Darren Simmons certainly sounded very high on Brad Robbins. And I asked him, you know, why, why draft the punter? Why not go, go the veteran route? And he said, well, some of it is got to take two to tango. What's it going to cost you? I think they, they, they really identified Brad Robbins as a hang time guy with good directional punting ability, and that's a big, big deal in the NFL. I mean, Drew Christman's gross average was good. I mean, he averaged 47.8 yards per punt. 
Um, but he kicked it line drive style a few times, didn't directionally punt it, and no more so evident than that last punt in the AFC Championship game. It went 54 yards right down the middle of the field, very returnable, 29-yard return later. It set Kansas City up for a, for a spot where they could end up kicking the game-winning field goal. Now, listen, that doesn't mean um, that, that Robbins automatically wins the job just because you drafted him. You know, Drew Christman's aware of it. He said he embraces the competition. He thought it made him a better punter competing with Kevin Huber. Um, he understands hang time's a big deal. He understands directional's a big deal. And let's not forget, they drafted Jake Elliott as a kicker a few years ago. He went and battled with Randy Bullock. And when push came to shove, the data showed Randy Bullock won the job. We can all wring our hands over whether that was right or not. But based on, on the way they gauged it, he won the job. And so it's going to be a punt off all through training camp and leading up to, to the final cut. All right, let's switch gears a little bit to college basketball quickly here before I let you go. Um, I want to get your overall thoughts on the state of where Cincinnati and and Xavier are at right now. Xavier obviously brings in three guys from Conference USA in the transfer portal. UC goes out and gets CJ Frederick, who's been injured throughout his career. They get Simos Lukosius, who is uh, the transfer in from Butler. And then I'm blanking on the name, the big man from Temple that UC is bringing in. So uh, Jack uh, Jackson. Yes, yes. Bringing it, yes. We're, we're thinking of the right guys, Kitty. Um yeah. And uh, so you're you're looking at some additions that on paper are really going to contribute to these teams in, in the areas that they need. But, you know, you look at you seeing some of what they need to make up as, as far as making up ground to get into the Big 12 and win games and be competitive. You know, they, there is a big leap that's going to need to be made here. So what's your take on both of these teams and what they've done in the portal so far? Yeah, if, if this was UC still in the American Athletic Conference, I'd be really giddy about it. Um, and that's not a knock on any of the in individual players. Um, I'm hoping for C.J. Frederick because it just didn't work at Kentucky. And if you look at his track record at Iowa, it worked very, very well in the role he played. Um, you know, I, I think he's a great you know, complimentary piece. He's not a dude. I don't think Lukosius is a dude. His numbers don't say that. Although, again, he's only got a couple of years of data at Butler, but you saw him, Paul. I mean, he's a nice player, but he's not a dude. The kid from Temple is not a dude. You know, maybe the Juco point guard is. Um, I Hopefully, for UC fans, he's an upgrade over Mike Adams-Woods. But if he's not, the, the problem is if you're going in the Big 12, you better have some NBA talent on that roster. And maybe their NBA talent's Jizzle James. Maybe it's Rayvon Griffith, the two freshmen. We don't know. Um, I, I, you know, I, again, I, I think that's a big ask because they're not considered, you know, one-and-done type guys. Um, and, and those are usually the NBA-ready guys. So for that roster to go in the Big 12, it's better than what you had um, but you're not in the American with this roster. You're in the Big 12. You need some dudes, and I just don't think they're quite there yet to really um, uh, compete for a lot of wins in, in year one in the Big 12. I hope I'm wrong. I hope C.J. Frederick blows up for, for, for him. Uh, I, I, it's been a, it was a rough go at Kentucky for him. And when healthy, um, Paul, you saw him in high school. I coached against him in high school. I was a big C.J. fan, and I was glad what he did at Iowa. I was a little surprised, but I was glad what he did. I thought it was a perfect fit at Kentucky, but it was not. So hopefully you see it, it, it is a better fit. But again, all these guys feel very complimentary and none feel like dudes. And you better have a couple of dudes going in the Big 12, maybe more than a couple. Yeah, that's Jamil Reynolds. Rick Rick's in the yeah, chat sorry, points yes, out. Jamil Reynolds from Temple yeah. and then Day-Day Thomas coming in. Uh, so we'll see. You know, you have Micah Adams-Woods. You have some of those guys. But, you know, who can take over? Who can really lead that team? What about Xavier? Bringing in three guys from Conference USA. You're losing Jack Nunji, who doesn't use his extra year. Where are we at with Xavier? Yeah, I, I love the seven-foot center from North Texas. I think he gives you a great rim protection, probably not nowhere near the offensive player, and he's not nowhere near the offensive player Jack Nungie is. But, I mean, it wasn't a transfer portal get Paul, but the return of Zach Freeman, I think, is just huge. 
I mean, now you've got two of your guys in the front court, him and Hunter back. You add more of a defensive-minded center than Jack Dungy was. And, again, Jack was a, was a great offensive player in many, many ways. You know, obviously losing your starting backcourt is, is huge, too. But, but I do think the, the starting point of what you saw Hunter do when he finally got to start, I mean, at times he became an offensive force when they went high-low and he could post up. And it was really impressive to watch, and yet he's a guy I don't think that needs to take 12, 14 shots. Hopefully he doesn't decide that this is the year i got to go get mine and i got to show that I can make threes because we've seen that with, with guys before. You saw it last year at Kentucky with Jacob Toppin for a while that he thought, I'm going to prove to NBA scouts I can shoot the jump shot. Well, that's great if you can, but you couldn't, and it didn't work out. Then you went back to your style of play as a slasher, and it worked. So I do think um, getting Fremantle back was as big as anything they did in the portal. But, you know, what they got in the portal um, I, I think is, is pretty good too. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm probably contradicting myself from UC to, to Xavier because you lost two dudes. I mean, Sule Boom became a dude. We didn't know he was a dude. You know, and, and, and uh, he developed into one. And obviously, Colby was on the borderline of being a dude. And he certainly was always considered an NBA prospect. So uh, those guys are a loss. But I still think Xavier is very well situated, especially getting Fremantle back to me was a huge, huge deal. Skinny, did you win the Derby? Did you pick Mage? I, I did not. I, I finished. I was closing a pick four to the horses that ran second, third, fifth, and sixth. Uh, you know, it, it hurt that my namesake got scratched, Paul. It was going to be an easy day. For I me know to it was, I was a layup. Relax. And there it was. He scratches on me. Um, I did like two fills a lot. I did win a little bit of money on him because I had uh, I had some pretty good money in the place side for him, but did not have mage. And looking back, I could kick myself because that was honestly a pretty easy exact box if you wanted to go three or four horses deep. Yeah. Well, Skitty, I appreciate you taking a few minutes this morning. That was great, and uh, have a great rest of your day. Paul, always good to talk to you. Take care, man. All right, see you. Richard Skinner, always great. He has the Skinny Podcast along with Rick Broering, so if you want to go listen to that, it comes out on Thursdays. It's a one-hour podcast all about Cincinnati sports, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, kind of get you up to date on everything in Cincinnati sports. Go check that out for sure. Um, okay, we have something. Take us home. I am give, giving a platform here to something that everybody in the chat is I know clamoring for. Casey McAllister, fire it up there on the screen. We haven't seen it in a while. The stink list. There it is. The preseason stink list for the <laughs> 2023 NFL season. Okay. So is this in order like 1 to 30? Are the Bengals number two, or did you just tier these in whatever order and they're just in the tiers? Um, I tried to, but it might. there might be some that are out of order. What's that final tier? Nauseating. Nauseating. Now, Mouse Cop in the chat, I don't know. He says he's being authentic this week. I'm going to have to agree with Mouse Cop. This isn't a bad list. This is a pretty good list. Yeah, I think it's actually one of my better lists. I had a lot of time to think about it. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, tasked to make one every week. So I've had a lot of time to process and think about all the moves. I think it's a pretty good list. I'm not overreacting over uh, the Jets. They are – I. It, that's probably the one that people will point to the most is, is the Jets. You have the Jets with what, 13? So yeah. the, these are in order, correct? Yeah. The ma mouse cop wants to know why the Browns are nauseating, but the Bears are in the stink. Which I would ask the same question. The Bears got a lot of 
a lot of talent in this draft. They, they did a lot in this offseason to get some players. I think they have the most hope, whereas the Browns, they just stink. I mean, they, they can't get above stink. And they, they, they just smell. And they're, they're worse than stench, so they're nauseating. You have the Patriots in the bottom third of the league? I do. Okay. I do. I just don't not saying think, it's wrong. It's just I, I do like their draft a lot. I just don't think that they have the players that they're like. I don't. I'm not a believer in Mac Jones. I don't think they have a really good roster construction right now of players that can get them over the top. Right. Like when you look at the Bengals, like Joe Burrow is head and shoulders above Mac Jones. Right. Joe Mixon. Well, yeah, I mean, if you if you compare the Patriots to the top teams, yeah, they don't stack up. Like, uh, what I think, like, their edge rushers, they're not even, like, the the top ten. They did really well last season, but, like, they just have a lot of average, and then they have some below average, which really pushes them down. There's a lot of teams on this list that have guys that are above average or elite talent on some sides of the ball, and the Patriots, to me, are just – the antithesis of elite. Uh, Casey, how hard did you have to wrestle with the fact that you put the Browns in nauseating with Dewan Jones? They had the steal of the draft. Yeah. Um, well, you know. You just didn't was, rank them last is what you did. Right. Right. It moves them up slightly. You know, they, they, they get above the Cardinals and the Raiders. Usually they'd be, you know, at the very bottom, but. Casey is going to be absolutely insufferable in a very positive way. Insufferable is the wrong word because that's, that sounds negative. Casey is going to have the victory lap of a lifetime. Is a better way to phrase that if DeWan Jones is a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. I will be the most insufferable human on this planet if DeWan Jones even becomes mm -hmm. a starter mm -hmm. for the Browns. Mm -hmm. Mouse cops on this planet, so you're second. <laughs> But Kidding. but even so, even though I think Dewan was the biggest steal of the draft, a right tackle ain't enough to save that franchise. It just isn't. Even your boy Dewan. No, not not even Dewan can save them. The Browns have I saw someone tweet this earlier. The Browns have had four winning seasons in the last four decades. Yikes. Not good. It was either it was twenty nine or thirty nine years, so I've let me, let me draw it up. But regardless, it stays the same. They just don't win a lot of games. They don't win. They, they don't, don't win. win a lot of games. And they what, still show up. But you can I boil, love the fans. You can boil that down to is that they just don't win a lot of games. They don't. They're not very good because they stink. Casey, that was a good list. I'll put it up one more time for fans. Put it up one more time. That was a good list, Casey. You know, it, do you want me to go in order and explain anything? Or I don't, does, does everyone feel like this is a pretty good? I think we're good. Reed, you had a question. I did not have a question. I oh. Ch Chad brought up a good point. He he preaches ELE, which I love. Everybody love everybody, and I can't throw shade at Mouse Cop. I will not end the the Mouse Cop feud with throwing shade. It will only come out of love. But go back to your stinklins. Nutcutter Nation came out in a big way today. NCN NCN, very great. Very. Who's going to be the first to make a Twitter account? For Nutcutter Nation, and just that's it's got to be Chad Waits. I mean, Chad Waits <laughs> is all over the NCN hashtag. Someone's got to make a Twitter account, and we, we just flocked there, and they 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 are the mouthpiece. 
of Nutcutter Nation on Twitter. Has to happen. Somebody it has to something. happen. Good list, Casey. Good list, Casey. Uh, we are nearing the end of the show. Uh, I have one other thing I was going to pitch to you guys. Pitch it. So if you're looking at me right now, if you're, if you're watching this on YouTube, and again, you can go back and you can listen to this in podcast form. Uh, you can like the video, subscribe to the channel. We are sponsored by Betfred Sportsbook. We are brought to you by Pawnee, Betfred, Encore, and UDF, United Dairy Farmers. Um, tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, I am meeting uh, with a somebody who will give me nutrition and strength advice. I've never been coached on strength training. I've never been coached on nutrition. I eat terribly for lunch pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. Casey, I think we both do. I think I can speak for both of us. Yep. I look like I'm 10 years old because my body frame is that of like a 15-year-old, even though I'm 26. When I get ID'd, the people always tell me I look like I'm 18. It's frustrating. And it's time to wave the white flag and stop trying to do it myself and get some professional help. So I'm going to meet with somebody tomorrow who is very, very well-versed and knowledgeable on all this. Do you guys have any tips or or uh, anything on how we can make this this frame here look like I'm actually 26 years old? Work out, work out a little bit. Throw some weight around. You know what we should do instead of going to lunch every day? What? Go to the Y. We should go to the Y for an hour. Oh baby, let's 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 lift heavy things. Let's move some weight around. The lunch hour at the Y. Oh, yeah. It's right around the corner. May 1st, 2024. So I weigh like 175. Mm-hmm. May 1st, 2024, Paul weighs 195 comfortably. Paul, if you get to 200, you get to 200. Oh, my. But a good 200, Paul, not like a oh, fat yeah. 200. Well, yeah. Not well, like I just started eating. Yeah, you don't want to be right, like me, right. a fat 200. Hey, 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 calm it. You're not fat, Casey. Paul, you're a handsome fella. You are a hand, good-looking guy. You throw on some weight, brother. I mean, you'll be Cincinnati's most eligible bachelor. 100%. 100%. No doubt about it. No doubt. See, the thing is, OJ's 94 Bronco, I'm allergic to peanuts. I'm one of those guys. I'm the worst of the worst. OJ's 94 Bronco, I do want to thank you very much for the super chat. Good job today. I, I appreciate it. I'm 6'3". I'm 6'3", 175. If I was like 200, I'd have been worth my weight in the post in high school, but I'm, I'm just, I'm not. So yeah, so peanuts, I can't do the peanuts. I can't do any, I can't just munch on them. It's brutal, but whatever. We'll get the protein from somewhere. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how we work out with that and, and, and we'll check back in. We'll, we'll make a little thing. I know Casey's been drinking the water. Casey, show the people the water that you've, uh, that you've been drinking here. We've obviously sponsored by Pawnee, so he's been having to pour a lot of Pawnee water into this big... Nitro limestone. Big, big uh, little, whatever this is. Yeah. Big water bottle every morning. It's like, uh, what what did we equate it to? It's like two liters or something like that. I think... Uh, Or a little more Yeah, I think you have to drink two liters a day. I don't know how much is in it. 64 ounces is in that. That's a 64-ounce bottle. So that's two liters. Two liters. Yeah. You're drinking a two liter every day of water. Yep. Good for you. Two quarts. You got to drink 3.7. Half a gallon. All right. We, uh, fellas, do we have a cherry on top? Paul, it is great. So you mentioned that if you put a little more weight on, you'd be worth your weight. And, uh, in the post in high school, 
Oh we my have God. a great video from none other than John Paul the Great Wolfpack oh baseball my God. team. So, chat, you're welcome. <laughs> I, oh I, my God! I went through the depths of the internet to find this video, oh and it was posted no. by you, Paul. I, I left it up. No shame in this. I'm proud of this. This was a two-hour bus ride. Roll Did that it, track. Roll that track, Casey. This is not me. This is one of my best friends from high school, though. Oh Steve my Miller. God. This is not Steve Miller. Huh? This is the wolf pack. <laughs> there he is! Look at those shades! Oh, you're great. Still a chance for you, cause there's a spark in you. You just gotta ignite the light. Someone missed the part. American flag? Did you just have an American flag on that bus ride? We're American. Who just. Who just travels with American flags? We are red-blooded Americans, Reed. Oh my god, is that is that nor normal for Washington, D.C.? Oh, man. Alright, alright. I, I think they got the got point. It. Yeah. So, see, that's the thing. I gotta gain some weight, because in that video, I was... I was a senior in high school in that video, so I was probably 18. We probably had the American flag, I think if I remember that right. So our bus rides in high school, I talk a lot about the high school sports in Virginia versus here. When we would play away games in Virginia to play teams that were like in our league or competitive with us, almost all of our bus rides were like two hours. Even though there's a million high schools in Virginia, we didn't play uh, the schools that were around us. We would travel like two hours, and we'd go down there, and we'd get mercy ruled. So we had to make we had to make some fun out of something. So we coordinated that. That that took up a little bit of time, I guess, the night before, and then we said, Well, hey, what props do we need? I was coordinated that. I was trying deeply to find a video, a picture of you playing ball in high school. But like you mentioned, and, and you've mentioned it before, high school sports is basically not a thing in Virginia. Like yeah. like it's a thing, but no one cares. Nobody like, cares. Like there's never there's never crowds. You you, you around here. You can walk up to someone in the fall and be like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Like, oh, I'm going to go to the St. X Moeller game. Like, that's a normal thing to do on a Friday yeah. night. No no relation to either team. Just want to go watch football. That doesn't happen in Virginia. There's no stats. There's no records. It's basically just non-existent over there in Virginia. No. Yeah, I have no I, – I have no – I mean, I started five games my senior year. I, I pitched five games. I started five games. I threw five complete games. Mm. I have no record of – I think I went two and three. I think our record was two and three in those games, but I have no record. Like how many strikeouts? Nothing. I we we didn't really keep records. There was nothing like that. It's just it's weird to say, but it's just how it kind of worked. I, I think maybe if I went in max preps, I think I think maybe that year we did keep stats, but not the rest. I don't know. It's weird. But anyway, yeah. So we would go down to to that that trip that you just saw, and that trip was a trip down to Richmond, which was about two hours from where I went to high school. And you're, you're going south on 95. There's a lot of traffic. You got a lot of time. 
and uh, we made the video. We had some fun. Hey, we you know we had some fun. But uh, thank you for keeping it up. Uh, yeah, it's that's that video will not come down off of YouTube. I'm keeping that up. Mm. What is this? Oh, is this a Rico special? This is yep. throw this up there. Rico Suave has quickly risen up the power rankings of Chatterbox fans just with his Photoshop edits. That jersey that he put out last week. Look at that. Look at Sir Boy Wonder at FC Cincinnati. Look at that. Look ooh, at Sir Boy Wonder. Ooh, 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 ooh. Sir Boy Bud Light guy? Ooh. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, Sir Boy. That's not going to go over well in Nut Cutter Nation. I will, we will never show Tom that picture, Sir Boy. We promise. We will ooh. not show Tom. All right, everybody, it is 12 on the dot. I want to thank each and every one of you for watching today's first time up here in this desk. It was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed the interviews. Hope you enjoyed the chatter. Uh, Reed, Casey, thank you guys so much. Uh, it was a fun show today. Had a blast. It was a fun show. Had a blast. Uh, Tom will be back in studio tomorrow. Tom's missing one other show, isn't he? Isn't there one more, Casey, he's missing? Is it this week or next week? I don't remember. There's one more he's missing. It's like missing. the 15th, I believe. Okay. Yeah, with graduation, he's there's one more that he's missing somewhere in here. But um, each and every one of you, thanks for watching today. Hope you learned something. Hope you were entertained. And we will see you right back here at 10 a.m. tomorrow for Off the Bench with Tom. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great Monday.